Welcome to Quit Bleeping Around, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve more in life. Here's your host, Christina Eanes. Hey, Super Achievers. In this episode, I'm interviewing Kathy Cox. Kathy is the Chief of Staff for Greenleaf Integrative, a consulting firm built on mindful leadership. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Christina. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I love, uh, well, the various topics that you are able to talk about, but before we get into that, can you share a little bit about your background and how that brought you to what you're doing today? Sure. I definitely have a varied career, a checkered past, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For your listeners, I am a boomer. Okay, boomer. I am a baby boomer. Um, So I have a pretty long career behind me already. Um, I have over 10 years in the nonprofit world as staff, executive director, board member, and consultant and volunteer. I've worked for several commercial companies, both large and small. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've had my own business three times. Each of those then evolved into some other job opportunity that at the moment I thought I wanted to, to you know, I was eager to take. So I would segue out of, the, out of my own business and into something new. And currently, I'm chief of staff for a small consulting firm in the Washington, D.C. area. The company name is Greenleaf Integrative, and we specialize in leadership and organizational development services. So that includes things like coaching, employee development, performance management, training, change management. And one of the reasons that I've come to Greenleaf and feel like it's probably going to be my final home in my career is their focus, that company's focus on building and maintaining personal resilience as a tool to creating a better company. And this focus is a critical component in all of the services that we deliver. So that's where I am today and why I'm here. I love that mission. Resilience is very important in, I mean, everything that we'll talk about today, right? So can you, can you start a little bit, uh, Let's talk. Let's start out with resilience. Actually, can you share a little bit about that? So, resilience is uh, well. That's a word that's used in a lot of contexts. You know, you hear about resilient cities, and you hear about all kinds of types of resiliency. The resiliency that I'm referring to is your own personal resilience, your ability to um, maintain mental and emotional and physical health as you navigate through a stressful situation or multiple stressful situations. Um, Our clients, a lot of our clients are people who work in high threat and high demand environments. And so as you might imagine, people like healthcare workers, that um, when they go to work, they now not only deal with uh, crazy busy work schedules and greater and greater demands on their time and how, how long they can spend with a patient, et cetera, they're now also going to work every day being prepared for needle sticks um, with, you know, infectious diseases, uh, active shooter trainings. Is this the day that a patient's parent or, you know, a patient's loved one or the patient themselves 
who's going to punch me in the face because they don't like the news I gave them. So, so a high threat situation is does not necessarily mean literally a war zone, but some of our other workplaces could be pretty pretty severe. But it doesn't it doesn't take that type of severe workplace for anyone to have a need to build personal resilience and to have an interest in using it as a tool to do better in their life in all areas, you know, use it as a tool to further you in whatever direction you're headed, career or otherwise. So when I talk about resilience, I'm talking again about your ability to maintain health and stability while you navigate through stressful periods. And the primary way, and this is not just me or Greenleaf's position, this is based on a lot of research. Um, The primary way to build and maintain that resilience is through mindfulness practices and techniques. So I'm a big proponent of mindfulness. Um, And I have a lot of people, as soon as I say that, they're like, okay, so define mindfulness. That's meditation, right? Do I have to meditate? I don't want to sit on the floor with my knees crossed. (laughs) Um, I think there's so much out there now on mindfulness and meditation that I think we're kind of moving beyond that phase of awareness. But when people ask me that, I my first go-to is to say, let's look at the definition of mindfulness. There's a lot of them out there. My favorite definition is from John Kabat-Zinn. John Kabat-Zinn is an American professor emeritus of medicine and the creator of the Stress Reduction Clinic and the Center for Mindfulness in Medicine, Healthcare, and Society at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Um, that's quite a mouthful. He's an expert. <laughs> he's an expert. Exactly. I like to say all of that mouthful, first of all, to give him due credit because he's a uh, really a leader in the field, but also just to point out um, mindfulness in medicine, healthcare, and society at the University of Massachusetts. This is a real thing, right? This isn't just somebody's new idea, right? This isn't a fad. This is a real thing. Um, his definition of mindfulness is, Mindfulness means paying attention in a particular way, on purpose, in the present moment, and non-judgmentally. So if you break that down, on purpose means you're actually focusing on what's happening now. You're, You're intentionally paying attention on purpose. In the present moment, you're not thinking about yesterday or what's coming tomorrow. And this is the toughest one for me non-judgmentally. Yeah. Meaning in the moment, you don't know yet if what's happening is a good thing or a bad thing, right? Time will tell. Um, And if you can build that muscle to build the practice, the habit of being mindful in the moment, what that is doing is that it's allowing your, uh, your brain and your body just that brief moment to absorb and assimilate what it is you're observing and be responsive, not reactive. Mm, Yeah. So right away, based on that definition, you can see no meditation. Mindfulness is not meditation. (laughs) They're not (laughs) Um. (laughs) because that's that's exactly right. Exactly. Um, Most people think, oh, well, to be mindful, I have to meditate. Mindfulness is a is made up of a whole variety of practices and tools. One of them is meditation. And meditation is a very powerful tool. 
I practice it myself and highly recommend it. So meditation is meditating, rather, is being mindful. But being mindful does not necessarily mean that you're meditating. Um, other types of mindfulness tools include breath work, centering exercises, self-reflection methods such as journaling, visu- visualization. I was having a moment there trying to get that word out. <laughs> and visualization. And um, there's, there's many others as well. So there's a lot of ways to be mindful with, without it meaning you have to stop and sit on the floor with your legs crossed for 10 minutes and chant ohm. <laughs> <laughs> Which, oh, by the way, is only one way to meditate of many, many. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's, um, that's resilience and that's mindfulness. You know, it's interesting. One thing I like to say to people, uh, and I won't know, I don't know that this saying is true across the globe, but I do know that it's very much an American thing that how many times did your parents say, count to 10 before you speak? Mm, yep. Right. Just take a minute, count to 10. Well, there we are, mom or, or dad or your parent in their infinite wisdom was saying count to 10 and the, the which is a simple way to impose a pause, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now you can grit your teeth and still be furious and one, two, three, four. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> okay. I'm going to count to 10, darling. Um, <laughs> But if you actually stop and give yourself that moment to count to 10 thoughtfully while you breathe, what's happening is your breath is calming you. So whatever reaction you were going to have in that moment is now calmer and more thoughtful and more of a response as opposed to a knee-jerk reaction. So yeah, mom was right. Yeah. <laughs> mom or dad, whoever was right. <laughs> count to 10. Yeah. Now, can you go over the, uh, the neurobiology uh, related to this? Yeah, I'd be delighted to touch on that. Um, and I will do my best to do it in a way that just doesn't get too sciencey. <laughs> Although I love the neurobiology of it. The neuroscience is how you also hear it referred to. Because for people who this is a new concept, and don't, they don't know much about it yet. Or people who've heard about it, but they think it's Oprah, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, you've been watching Oprah. Um, there can be this perception that it's a soft, really soft, that it's squishy, that it makes you weak, that it's a too woo-woo. Um, but in fact, all of this is based on a lot of science. In particular, there's a huge number of scientific studies in the last dozen or so years when we finally developed the technology, so we had the tools to measure accurately what was happening in our brain, right? So there's a lot of science behind this, and it's recent science. Um, So your brain has multiple areas, but to make it really super simple, there's the amygdala, also sometimes called the lizard brain or the old brain. And that is the part of the brain that um, is original to when man became man and stood up and, or woman became woman and stood up and walked and, you know, became what we think of as a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, and that part of the brain is built specifically to protect you and to keep you safe, to keep you alive. So in caveman days, those threats could be the tiger in the jungle, right? Right. And, So every snap of a branch 
meant there could be something in the jungle waiting to pounce and eat you. So you had to be on high alert to be protected. Well, we don't live that world anymore. Today, our threats are things like, have I made a mistake at work and is it going to get me fired? Is that driver ahead of me going to still be an idiot? (laughs) And is that going to cause a wreck, right? Uh (laughs) So we still have the hijacks, but they don't necessarily endanger our life. We aren't going to get eaten by a tiger today. But the amygdala doesn't know that. It just knows it needs to keep you alive. Right. So every time it perceives anything that's a threat, you go on, your brain goes on high alert. What happens when your brain goes on high alert is that it diverts resources, primarily oxygen, from other parts of the brain in order for the amygdala to have what it needs to keep you safe. So what happens is your prefrontal cortex, which is also called the executive center or the executive brain, that's where a lot of the reasoning happens. Um, Your prefrontal cortex is diminished. Its ability to function well is diminished because it's not getting the resources it needs. Well, that's the, that's the part of your brain that's going to say, oh, no, that is not a tiger in the woods. (laughs) (laughs) You're fine. This is just a difficult conversation in a high stress meeting. It's okay, right? (laughs) But your prefrontal cortex is having trouble telling, getting your attention for you to hear that because you're think all your brain can hear is the amygdala going danger, well, danger, right? Uh Um, So it's that moment that you pause and that breath, it is physiologically the breath that calms the amygdala, lets the um, resources go back to normal flow so that the prefrontal cortex can come back online and do its job and talk you down. So that's why that breath is so calming. It's literally having an effect in what's happening in your brain. So that's all the neuroscience behind it. Um, the bottom line is when you feel um, stressed, and that can be immediate moment stress, like, oh, woof, that car just cut me off, almost had an accident, Whew, you know, mm-hmm. or it can be um, that slower burn, long-term chronic stress of I'm going to be working late all week to hit a deadline. The breath And taking pauses to really allow your body to have that breath can go a long way in keeping you, uh, in mitigating that stress and keeping you functioning at a high level during that period and recovering from that period. So say it's that moment where a car cut you off, that breath after is what helps you recover from that momentary peak of stress. Um, and then the ongoing breath work over the week of deadlines is what keeps you going in a thoughtful way during that longer term period. I love the simplicity of just breathe. Just breathe. Exactly. Right? <laughs> just breathe. Yeah, just breathe. So that's the thing. People are like, oh, mindfulness, you know, I should take a class. I should take a training. I need to read a book. I don't know how to do it. Just breathe. Just breathe. Nice. Num- you know, number one step, just breathe. There's lots of other things you could learn how to do and use those other techniques. And you might want to choose to go learn more. But the first thing and the simplest thing you can do at any moment is just breathe. <laughs> just breathe. I love that. Yeah. yeah there's not a lot of uh, weight to it, if you will. Like, oh, I got to go meditate for 15 minutes. And <laughs> See, that's the other thing is 
um, that false assumption that, uh, you know, your boss pops by your, your desk and says, can I see you in my office in five minutes? And immediately you're thinking, oh gosh, <laughs> principal's office. <laughs> uh, am I getting a raise? Am I getting fired? Does he want to talk about the budget? Like what's happening? Um, and you, you could, if you hadn't really learned much about breath work and mindfulness, it would be easy to say, oh gosh, I don't have time to go meditate. Right. I need to meditate for 15 minutes and I can't do that. I have to be in his office. No, just breathe. Just breathe. <laughs> just take some slow, calming breaths. In fact, even just a three or four cycle breath can make a very big difference. I do it in meetings. Yeah, because people don't realize, right? You can um, still sit and look as though you're engaged with what's happening around the table, right? <laughs> um, and, and you can still, in that moment, um, I don't know what the right word is. I want to say like unhinge or unplug your brain just a little bit, right? You're still kind of half listening, but you internalize your thinking. And for just a moment, you just take two or three calming breaths. And then you bring yourself fully back online in the meeting and you can do it with your eyes open and nobody ever knows. And you feel either calmed if that's what you need in that moment, or you feel refreshed if it's one of those meetings that it's not stressful. It's just, you know, mind, mind numbingly boring. <laughs> you can use your breath to just help refresh you so you can get reengaged in the meeting again. Nice. Now, you did mention that there were some other ways. Do you recommend some particular strategies for gaining mindfulness? It's so easy these days to access these things uh, quickly and affordably and digitally. Um, there are numerous mindfulness and meditation apps that you can download, and they have everything from simple three or four cycle, one minute breath techniques to a wide variety of meditations on different subjects or different lengths of time, some guided, some just quiet with, you know, an opening to get you into it and then a, a closing to bring you back out, but it's not guided throughout the meditation. Um, wide variety of things to choose from. In fact, you'll find a lot of free resources similar to that on Greenleaf Integrative's website uh, that are complimentary to anybody on our, on our well-being tools page. Um, but I would strongly recommend, first of all, I would recommend breath work. If you're, if you haven't studied the subject, you can literally just stop and breathe, just stop and breathe. That will help. But if you really want to get into it, there's a lot of different ways to do breath work. And there are some very specific techniques involved with how many counts you breathe in or breathe out, or do you hold your breath for a second at the top before you exhale? Um, is it alternate nostril breathing? Is it through the mouth or the, you know, so there's a lot of specific breath techniques that you can learn and figure out. And, and I'm interrupting myself. <laughs> um, I highly recommend if people are interested that you look at a lot of techniques and try a bunch of them. A lot of them are available on YouTube. You can walk through it with a video and try them out and see what you think. Cause not everybody likes everything, right? You might be somebody who loves to meditate and that's a good go-to and you meditate every day for 15 or 20 minutes. 
you, you might be somebody who hates to meditate, but you do breath work multiple times a day, but you don't know until you try it, right? It's like foods. You don't know until you taste it. So find the ones that, yeah, try them out. Find the, find the ones that you like the best, and then those become your toolkit. And then there's also um, other practices. One of my favorite is self-reflection, which is, uh, and again, it's one of those things you can do in very short moments, or you can do as a uh, established practice at the end of the day or in the morning. But self-reflection is where you take a moment, you pause, and you reflect on what happened. So it could be in the meeting or in that moment, or it could be what happened all this, you know, today. Um, and you, again, we're back to mindfulness, right? You try to look at it non-judgmentally. Just what happened? What happened? Who showed up? How did things unfold? And then what came out of that? And then at some point, after you've given it some non-judgmental reflection, you are going to probably, naturally, as humans, come to the conclusion, wow, that was really great. Or, wow, that kind of went sideways. <laughs> you know, that didn't end up quite where I thought it would. Um, and what was your role in that? What responsibility can you take for making it good or bad? regardless of the result, right? What responsibility can you take for how you showed up and how you helped the thing unfold to that result? And I have found oftentimes that that, what was my role in it, is the most critical element because that's where you recognize the places where you were really strong in that moment or that interaction or that situation, the places where you really shined with your strengths, um, the places where you perhaps had a weakness and you're recognizing you want to work on something, or places where you were extraordinarily generous or grateful or kind or not, right? Maybe you need to apologize to somebody. Maybe you recognize you snapped at the waitress and you don't want to do that again. You might not have an opportunity to go back and thank them personally, but you're not going to you're going to intentionally try not to do that moving forward. Um, so I find self-reflection is one of my favorite tools. I love that tool. Yes. And then there's lots and lots of others. Um, there's a book I can recommend um, called The Relaxation and Stress Reduction Workbook. You can find it on you can find it on Amazon or any number of online areas, also in bookstores. The Relaxation and Stress Reduction Workbook. Um, the key author is Martha Davis. There are two secondary authors as well, but if you're searching by author, Martha Davis will find it. And it's literally a workbook full of uh, the explanations of the neurobiology, and then chapter after chapter on different practices and how to do them and what the benefits of those might be. It's really a helpful resource. And again, just Google stuff on YouTube. There's all kinds of stuff out there that's readily available and free. All kinds of phone apps, et cetera. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Huge. Yeah. Lots of different practices. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Nice. Now, you had mentioned uh, if, at Greenleaf Integrative, you had some resources. Uh, what are some of the services that you provide through that company? Oh, thank you for asking. So Greenleaf Integrative is a small consulting company. As I said, we're located outside of the DC area, but we have done work all over the country. 
Um, and some of our clients work is international and we help them internationally as well. So in today's world, location's not as much of an issue anymore. Very easily to, very easy to serve clients digitally or, or, um, get on an airplane. Uh, but we do a variety of different consulting services. Most of them are based around organizational development. And so helping your company be a better company and also um, leadership, individual development, leadership development. So it could be anything from uh, helping you design a restructure of an organization to helping you manage the change process through something like that to uh, training courses, uh, team or individual executive coaching, wide variety of things like that. But if it has to do with helping you develop your people and building a stronger workplace, that's where we are. You've shared lots of awesome information. Is there a final piece of advice or anything else you'd like to add? There is one thing I'd like to add, and I appreciate you asking. Uh, well, first of all, I wanted to mention that I'm um, huge fan of your podcast. Aww. And I have, I have listened to a lot of them and I'm now subscribing and listening to them regularly. But in particular, there was one podcast that the speaker talked at length about the neurobiology and it was really well done. It was the, it was podcast number 216. If somebody wants to go find it, uh, number 216, the name of it is navigating challenging dialogue. And your guest that day with Beth, was Beth Wanson. And uh, although she was discussing challenging dialogue, she really spent some time explaining the neurobiology and what happens when you're in that difficult moment and how to uh, be aware of that and work with that in your in how you manage your stress. And she did a beautiful job of it. So that's easily accessible to all of your listeners as another uh, quick resource for some of the neurobiology. But the other thought I want to leave folks with is that resilience is a muscle. And again, this has been proven in all of these uh, neurological studies that have come out in the past dozen years or so. Resilience is literally a muscle. You can train your brain to build that muscle, to have it be a ready go-to for you. But just like anything in life, it's use it or lose it, right? You, and this is a lesson I learned the hard way. You know, I had done a lot of reading on mindfulness and I thought, oh, I know all about that. When, the minute I need it, I've got it because I've read the book. And in fact, that's not <laughs> <right>? yeah, <laughs> that's not the way it works. Um, you don't got it when you've read the book. You don't get it until you practice it. And you want to build that muscle so that in the moment that you realize you need to calm yourself and you think, oh, geez, I should do that three-cycle breath. If you've been practicing it regularly, your brain and your body will just kick in and do it. And that calming effect will be instant and very effective. If you haven't been practicing it and you think, oh, geez, I should do that three-cycle breath thing. Your brain is like, huh, what? Wait, where was that? I filed <laughs> that somewhere. What was that? I got to find, I got to figure that out. You know, like it takes a minute and, and your body's not used to doing it. So it's not as readily available to you as a calming technique if you haven't practiced it. So I always say practice mindfulness in the good times and the bad. Otherwise you won't have it when you need it in the bad, you know? Mm -hmm. 
I love that. Very empowering. And if you use things like self-reflection and and situational awareness, what's happening in this room right now, if you practice it regularly, you realize how many good times there are. Wow, this meeting went really great today. I'm so glad I showed up for that, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Um, As opposed to waiting to intentionally be aware because something's going sideways. Um, so not only do you build the muscle, but you realize how much of your life really is going good because you're aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you are in the moment. Exactly, I love it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for joining us today, Kathy. Thank you. I really appreciate being uh, part of your show and I'm delighted to hear what's coming up next. If you'd like to learn more about Kathy, visit her organization's website at greenleafintegrative.com. Is it possible to have fun while developing yourself? Take a look at Christina's latest book, Life is an Escape Room, to see how the lessons learned through escape rooms apply to achieving more in life. Visit lifeisanescaperoom.com for more information.